You can hear me? Yes. So what, continuing on with yesterday's conversation or talk, why even talk about um, this notion of persona or self? Why not just do what the Xin Xin Ming says and just practice with likes and dislikes? Just look at what we like, look at what we dislike, and let go of those. And I think maybe and Zen points to this a lot. I think maybe one of the reasons to talk about it this way is because there is a process that some of us may have felt that feels like there's a lot at stake in our likes and dislikes. It's not just, I like doing this and I'm going to pick some other thing to like or not like. Some of our likes and dislikes feel like we're dying to give them up. as it seems almost like an extraordinary task. And I think that's when we're tapping into something that is more than just alike. Or it points to the depth of why we choose to bend ourselves in particular directions as opposed to other ones. And so it's very appropriate, it seems to me, that Zen talks in terms of, you know, the great death of the self. But what these persona strategies that give us is that it's not one big death, it's all, it's a lot of them. There's one way we manifest here. There's one way we manifest here. There's one way we manifest here. Some of them are consistent, some of them are not. And they all feel like dying because we're identified with them. And so the liberatory process from these or within these ways of being in the world, um, we all know this, can um, leave us destabilized, disoriented, confused, not knowing who we are. So we talk about this as a kind of organized self or an organized way of understanding who we are. And Dongshan realized that to hear and sentient beings speak the Dharma all these cells, all these personas had to be dropped. We had to see that the mind he was looking at, that was reflecting that everything that he was seeing, not just the water, when he saw his reflection in the water, he realized in his reflection in the water that everything was reflecting him. Everything was that same reflection, was himself being reflected back to himself and everything that he was looking at and hearing 
and smelling and tasting and touching. And so that to realize that everything is a reflection in this way, once freed from the mind, he's freed from the mind, freed from the grasping of the mind, so his body can be released into the world. Until we're freed from the grasping of the mind, our bodies cannot be released into the world. They're just playing in the mind, holding ourselves, comporting in alignment with a particular sense of self. So later on, when Dongshan himself is a teacher and he's on the other side of this inquiry process, we've heard him on the student side all of this time. Later, he becomes the teacher in a monastery. And in another part of the story, many years down the road, Dongshan's instructing the assembly and he's saying, Experiencing the matter of going beyond Buddha, finally capable, we can speak a little. A monk in the assembly inquires, what is speaking? Dongshan said, at the time of speaking, you do not hear. The monk asked, Master, do you hear or not? Dongshan replied, just when I do not speak, then I hear. This reminds me of a completely different tradition, but um, Jacques Derrida said something similar. He said, when I speak, I'm blind. Dongshan is saying, just when I do not speak, then I hear. So what is this speaking? So here he's talking about speaking, but... In some ways, when we're um, putting energy into maintaining a particular sense of self or a particular persona, we've probably all had the experience that we're telling ourselves the story of ourselves all the time. We're speaking constantly. We're speaking who we are, speaking who we are, speaking who we are. We're telling other people who we are, we're telling ourselves who we are. It's a great deal of energy put into words, whether we say them out loud or we say them quietly to ourselves, we're speaking the person we believe we are. And Dongshan's telling us at this point, we are not hearing at that moment. We're not hearing the world. I'm not hearing the world when I'm telling myself who I am. nor am I hearing the others around me. And so to to stop speaking, this is when Dongshan really, you know, connects back to, then we can hear the Dharma of all insentient beings. We can hear the Dharma of the world when we are no longer speaking some notion of who we are. When our body is not speaking who we are, our body can hear. (laughs) 
So we come into this practice with this this um, intention. Maybe we don't come into this practice with this intention. This intention comes maybe over time, which, and it tends to come and go and come and go because it's hard not to resist it at times. But um, to give these to give these selves up, to stop the chatter of telling ourselves who we are. All of it, all of the chatter, the stuff that says we're good, the stuff that says we're bad, the stuff that says we're this, we're that, etc. And it's disorienting. And when we're doing it together, it can be quite hard. Interestingly, I'm not, I think it's quite hard to do it alone because there are not enough mirrors to see the ways that we're creating a self or many selves. Um, There are not enough active mirrors. Usually our minds are very loud in the beginning and it takes people talking to us. And it takes people modeling for us. And we need a lot of support. At some point, all we need is the forest. But that's usually down the road. The hermits usually, the hermits in Zen usually lived in a monastery for quite a while before they went out into the forest. And when we're doing this together, our personas come into conflict. Our personas inside ourselves come into conflict with each other. Our personas with other people, ourselves come into conflict with each other. And it isn't even that um, there's any real conflict there. Most of the time, there's not actually a conflict happening. There's just beliefs that a conflict is happening. Because somebody did not talk to me in a certain way that I have an idea I should be spoken to in that way. Or maybe they didn't say anything to me at all. Maybe they're just acting in a certain way that seems in a way I don't feel is appropriate. And then there is this, um, there is this need to change the world that comes up. I need to change that person. I need to change the way Zen is. I need to change the way I need to change things. If there's harm, we do have to address harm, but we have to get really good at discerning what's harm and what's stuff I don't like. Harm is something that's going to throw someone off the path. That's going to... um, where they're going to feel betrayed. And when we cause harm as a community, when I cause harm as a teacher, we have to really look into that and understand what is going on there and do the work of rectifying and healing it. We cannot be dishonest or shy about this. 
but that is not most of what's going on. Usually most of what's going on is we just don't like the way things are going because they're not the way we think they should be going. And so this is an interesting thing about a community that causes harm with all of these personas running around in a community that doesn't. And one way we, we have to, we have to work hard and this is very hard to do. We have to work hard on letting people work through their stuff. If, if we're a community that is, is about liberation from being stuck in cells and personas, that means there has to be space for people to be stuck in their cells and their personas. And that my responsibility is to be with, to take full responsibility. I used to hate this in the beginning of practice. I used to hate this Tibetan phrase, drive all blames into one. I just thought that was so unjust. And now it feels like the most appropriate practice for me which is to take 100% complete responsibility for whatever it is that's arising in me in a given moment. If I feel trampled over, if I feel ignored, if I feel whatever it is, that for me to really be with that and take total responsibility for it, so the one who is being um, maybe unskillful has a space to be unskillful. that there's actually a space for that. Because if we don't have a space for that, then everybody will be afraid. Everyone will be afraid to be unskillful. Everyone will be afraid to grow. Everyone will be afraid to give up their personas. Everyone will be afraid to be free. And that is not an easy community to cultivate. It's much easier for us to set out a bunch of rules and say, this is the way everyone should behave. And if you don't like it, go. That's easier. That is not a community that is going to be liberated. So this piece of liberation, this thing that Dong Shan is, is, and this is the reason I bring up the community piece is because we just can't talk about being free of these personas without talking about being free of them together. There is no way of talking about that. That isn't a fantasy. I'm going to sit in a corner and look at a wall and I'm going to give this up. And then at one point I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be free and my life will be a dance from there on. That, that world is not a thing. That is not a world that we actually live in. So we have to talk about what it is to then get up and then receive an instruction from somebody that annoys us. And then there it is. And that's the teaching moment right then. So at that moment, do we ask them to talk a different way? Maybe that's appropriate, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's appropriate just to feel what it is to have the way we view ourselves challenged. 
Laura is reading this book um, or read this book called Eye of a Crocodile, where um, this woman wrote it about our place in the in the chain of of life. And the reason is because she was almost killed by a crocodile. And at one point she was um, the crocodile pulled her down three times. Three. Yeah, that's how they kill the, the prey. So the crocodile tries to kill by drowning you, right? So she got pulled under three times. And at one point, they were eye to eye. And she writes, Laura told me the story, she writes in the, um, that the first thing she felt was indignation. How dare a crocodile? She's not meat. She's a human. How dare this crocodile try to kill her? He's clearly mistaken. We have thoughts like this all the time, right? These are like daily minute to minute thoughts of like <laughs> how dare life how dare this person how dare life how and dare anybody do anything that isn't exactly what i think i am she wasn't food except she was food she absolutely was food we absolutely are food we are food We've just been successful at killing everything off that eats us for the most part. Which is really interesting because we've been trained in believing that the way to be safe is eradicating what makes us unsafe. That is a way we have been trained and we have done it and we continue to try. And so we can if we're not careful, we can come into community with that same mindset, eradicate what makes us unsafe, get rid of the behaviors that make us feel unsafe. Don't feel unsafe. That's just not acceptable to feel unsafe. And yet, if these personas and these selves are going to die, there is a whole long path of feeling unsafe. It's kind of the territory. So we're all in different places with this. We're all at different moments in it. There may be insight at one point, there may be not in other point points. And we can't go to somebody. You know, Tia would always say about um, you have to let you have to respect people by letting them have their karma. Um, we can't go into, we can't meddle with another person's karma and kind of speed it along. So we have to give Suzuki Roshi's way of saying we have to give folks a wide field. Now, at one point in practice, it might be really appropriate to narrow that field down to very tightly. That might be appropriate. But for a while, big field. And so we'll do this thing I mentioned um, yesterday, like sometimes we'll, we'll raise up a persona in, in, in um, response to another one. So maybe we'll come into Zen and there's ways we were before that we don't like now. So we raise up a persona that's a Zen persona. And now we're going to do that. Or maybe we've awakened to the fact that there's racism in the world, so now we're going to raise up an anti-racist persona. 
then we end up spending more energy on keeping that persona together than actually doing the work of what it is to have internalized a violent persona in the first place or a persona that causes violence. We make another one. And then that one kind of does the same thing from a different direction. So we keep doing this thing over and over and over. So to fully stop, to say, I am going to be in the work of seeing and dropping all of these ways I um, make myself without making another one. That is, that is, that is both difficult <laughs> and, um, and wonderful. So we don't show up to these interactions. So when we show up to interactions with each other, if I've been behaving in one way that I identify as maybe a persona that's too, um, I don't know, pick something, um, too, too, what's confluent? Is that a word people use or is that just a psychological word? Confluent? Okay. If it's too confluent, if we're too meshed, or we're the other side, we're too rigid, right, with people, or we're whatever it is. The first response to that behavior when we're trying to shift a persona is often to fly to the other side. Right? If I'm too confluent, I'm going to be super bounded. If I'm too rigid, then I'm going to try to be really loose. And we might need to do that. We might create a persona and we might do things to fly to the other side. But that is not the thing that is actually, that's where the Buddhist says, you find this is the middle way piece here. Flying to either side of the, 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 the duality is not going to be freedom. Right? We know this. All of us know this. We can say this. I can say it. But it's, a one, it's another thing to see ourselves when we're actually doing it. Now I'm going to be super. I'm not going to at all give in to other people. I'm going to be here, right? But that is taking the same thing, this kind of persona, and overlaying it onto every situation. There is a me that is now going to show up in a different way to every situation. I'm not free. I've just inscribed something else onto the world. And so how do we cultivate a present and an awake and a flexible mind? You know, because that's the, that's the response. It's not to come with some other persona to the world that is different or opposite than the one we had before, but to drop the one we had before and allow for nothing to be there. Allow for there just to be a body hearing, not a body that's speaking who it is, but a body that's listening, a body that isn't erecting a new voice or a new thing to say or a new whatever, but a body that is listening. So that the speech that comes, I mean, this is an interesting question for myself that I've been thinking about this morning. What is the speech that's arising from listening 
rather than the speech that's making listening impossible, that's making hearing impossible? Is there a speech that's arising from hearing? Another way to phrase that is, is there a speech that's arising from this moment? Is there a speech that's arising from the world? Is there a speech that's arising from all insentient beings? Because that speech will have no personas. It will have no self-grasping. It will be freedom. It will be easeful. There will be joy. There will be flexibility. There will be poignancy. There will be the sadness of the world. But there won't be blocking out that which does not fit with my idea of who I am. And that, that kind of um, community <laughs> won't be without pain, It'll be a lot of pain. But, um, but it also won't be without joy. And um, it's a place where I think there, there can be the cultivation of faith and the cultivation of trust and the feeling that these are people who are actually making space for my being, the whole mess of it, the whole confusion of it, the growth of it. And when, you know, when we have felt this way, we all know what it feels like when we're, we're um, grasping, body's tight. There's a certainty that seems to be unbridled. <laughs> um, there's pain, there's conflict, there's division, there's these things that come. But this other side, this not side, this other way of that not arising. We should note when this happens too and really let ourselves enjoy it when the body is at ease, when we're not needing to say who we are. There might be some fear there, that's okay. Fear is just, one thing about fear, um, it's just aversion. We give it a special um, kind of place because it's probably the most powerful form of aversion. But it's aversion. And we know what to do with aversion. We just feel aversion. And we let it be there. In all of its glory. This is why we practice with likes and dislikes. I was talking with somebody about this recently. Um, we practice with likes and dislikes because if we can't practice with our aversion to a particular food, if we can't build those muscles, building the practice muscles to deal with fear is going to be a little far away. 
because then we have to really sit with the whole of the earth and say, okay, am I going to sit with this thing that feels this aversion that feels like I'm going to die if I actually feel it? Can I deal with that one and just let it rip through my body and fall away without it contorting and controlling my life? Doesn't mean I don't listen to it. Sometimes the fear may be very wise, but it doesn't contort or control me. And so for that to all be able to come up and there's ease, the Buddha talked about um, two kinds of unworldly. We translate it as emotions. I don't know if emotions the best word, but two kinds of unworldly things that, 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 um, that are kind of emotion like one is um, happiness. And um, the other one is ease. That there's actually an ease and a happiness that is not dependent on whatever's arising. This is really, really encouraging for me. I don't know about you, but I find it very encouraging to know that there is a possibility. And, and I think probably all of us have touched into this, maybe, that there can be an ease and happiness with fear present. There can be an ease and happiness with anger present. There can be an ease and happiness with whatever's arising and ease and happiness with people who really get on our nerves or who are threatening us. And there can be an ease and happiness in those moments. Because when we are not grasping the mind, our body is released into the whole of the world. And there is a sense of belonging and rootedness and groundedness and lifeness to us that doesn't have to apologize for itself, that doesn't have to present itself in a particular way, that doesn't have to say, look at me, I'm good. It can just be a tree. Just be Molly licking her paw in the zendo with no self-consciousness at all. And I really hope that we, I think we do. I think we do. And I'm very happy that that's the case. But um, to encourage it in ourselves and each other um, more and more and more, which is that um, we are a community of people who want each other's freedom above everything else. And the world's freedom, but this is where we're. This is the this is the lab. Then we can, you know, the world is it's harder when other people aren't doing the same thing. But in some ways, we're training for all the people who aren't. Not in some ways. That's what we're doing. We're training for all the people who aren't doing anything about in this way, who aren't necessarily looking at themselves. and feeling the pain of that and still being able to stand up and feel joy and feel ease and feel happiness.
there anything else I should say? The word intimacy keeps coming up. What about it? <laughs> that when we drop all of this, there's intimacy. Yeah, Laura suggested intimacy keeps coming up. That when we drop all of this, I mean, this is what Dong Shan, thank you, this is a good way to end. Um, this is really what Dong Shan is pointing to, right? This is what suchness is. Suchness is nothing but intimacy. Life being intimate with life, with nothing else, not, not a hair's breadth. We always say this, hair's breadth deviation and heaven and earth are set apart. This is the truth, right? In suchness, there's not a hair. There's no hair's breadth deviation in the interconnectedness of life. There's no separation anywhere. You can't find anything. There's just intimacy. There's everything arising with the intimacy of everything arising. Everything arising, not even with. Everything arising intimate with everything arising. And, um, and we are that. That is us. That is what we are. We are everything arising intimate with everything arising. Everything arising intimately as everything arising. That's what we are. And so when the clutter is, when, the, when, the, when we drop this other stuff, that's what there is. That's the only thing that's left. The only thing that's left is what actually is which is life arising as life intimately. And so then we are intimate with one another. Then we're intimate with the cup and spoon we're setting down. We have to practice at that until we feel it, but we can practice. And then at some point that practice, that mindfulness practice transforms into just being reality. Till it's reality, we're like, okay, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to put this spoon down. But at a certain point, that is not just mindfulness. That is the spoon is me. Somebody reminded me who somebody reminded me about um, that we always sweep toward us on the cushion. We never do this. As a Zen practitioner, we never go like that. That is not a gesture we do. Everything is toward us. Monks pour water toward themselves. We sweep dust toward ourselves, always reminding our bodies that everything is coming into us and nothing is being cast away. That it's always intimacy. So one way to talk about liberation is Liberation and freedom is everything intimate with itself. When everything is intimate with itself, there is freedom. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, 
please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.